podcast. We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's lovely to see you. Um, I hope most of you know me. Hello to those online as well. Um, I'm John. I'm part of the H2 community. I'm a doctor. Um, I work as a vascular surgery trainee um, currently at Queen's Medical Centre. And um, I have really been challenged by this series. Um, I'm really pleased that we've engaged with it as a church. It's, I think, at times been uncomfortable. Um, And I think at times it's revealed something of our own hearts. Um, And I think... Um, I think it's brought up and stirred up some stuff uh, within us personally, within our community. Um, And I think I just want to... It's funny, I think it's sometimes difficult to give a talk on a topic rather than on a bit of scripture. Um, I I often find it easier to, uh, to have a talk where you've got a bit of scripture and you kind of that's the starting place and you run with it um, rather than a topic. But as, as Rich said, I think this is something that's been on my, been on my heart um, over the last few, uh, few years, really, um, particularly through the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and I think, and I'm really pleased that we have a church has gone there with um, looking at justice and injustice because COVID-19 has really revealed many of the injustices in our society and globally. So I just want to take us to one passage. Um, it's kind of a bit ad-libbing. I was going to say this towards the end, but I'm just going to start with what I think is the key message that, that I think God wants me to bring this morning. So it's Colossians three twelve to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity i'll read that again because i think it's weighty Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Can I just pray quickly before I kind of really get going? Come, Holy Spirit. Be our inspiration. We welcome you and invite you to speak to us, to minister to our hearts. Would it be you speaking this morning? Would you challenge us and change us? Would we be confident 
in your love, acceptance and forgiveness, Father. And would you unite us as a community? Would you help us to become a community that seeks to bring the kingdom of God and its justice in our context, where we are and where we go, would we carry that? And would you help us, Holy Spirit, to reconcile with one another, to reconcile with those outside our community that have caused us hurt or we have hurt? Would you bring peace? Would you bring unity? Would you bring your kingdom? Amen. So I think one of the one of the core messages of this series has been justice is all about people. Ultimately, it's all about people. And Jesus cares passionately about people. And whatever area of justice or injustice, ultimately it's about relationship. And also that, I mean, it sounds, it sounds obvious, but justice isn't an optional extra in God's kingdom. It's something that's really at the heart of it. It's a core, fundamental um, issue to God. And in, in establishing the kingdom of God, injustice disappears. And we live in the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Um, We can see it, but we don't experience it in its fullness yet. And the joy of all of this tension and difficulty and pain and hardship is that when Jesus comes and establishes a new heaven and a new earth, we won't have to have discussions about how to tackle injustice because it won't exist. And we won't have to worry about reconciliation because we will be reconciled in fullness to the Father and reconciled in fullness to one another as the people of God. But we live in this tension of the here and now where we're trying to establish godly principles and we're trying to establish justice and we're not always going to get it right. And I think we have to recognize that, that, that we are going to get it wrong at times. You see, God calls us to stand up for the widow, orphan, foreigner, weak and poor. Jesus healed the sick, touched the leper, fed the hungry, accepted water from the Samaritan woman, restored the woman caught in adultery, compelled Zacchaeus to pay back what he had cheated people of. But ultimately, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be reconciled to the Father. The ultimate display of God's justice, because God's justice is both both retributive, as in retribution, punishing the evildoer, but also reparative in that he restores relationship um, with those who are victims of injustice. And in God's mercy and his grace, the cross is the ultimate expression of his justice in taking the punishment upon himself for us and in restoring us 
to right relationship with him. And that's the offensive message of the gospel, which is so hard to accept sometimes, is that even those perpetrators of injustice have access to forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. And as we are restored to right relationship with God, we are co-heirs with Christ and we receive the identity of a child of God. And that we are all created in the image of God. And we are called to see each other in that light. And so I want to start at the cross and I want to end at the cross. Um, And as we've heard today's talk is on reconciliation. Now for those of you who have spent any time with me, they'll know that I take a maybe too keen an interest in politics. And I can't help but see justice as a fundamentally political issue. And I think it's almost been the elephant in the room in this talk that justice is a political issue. But as I touched on, policy is a human construct. And therefore, we'll each have our own opinion And we'll each have our own ideas about what policies may reduce injustice. And we've come out of two years of pandemic where imbalances, inequalities and injustices in society have been laid bare. Injustices globally have been laid bare. World events at the moment are demonstrating that injustice is rife. And that's caused divisions and harm in our society. And we're all acutely aware of that. And be in no doubt, that is a work of the enemy who comes to kill, rob and destroy. And we have to be really careful, church, that we don't allow those divisions in society to to be prevalent in the church as well. Because so much of those divisions have been based on identity increasingly people's views and ideologies and the group that they identify with informs their identity but our identity is in Christ Jesus as co-heirs with Christ and that we are the family of God. We are aliens in a foreign land. We are set apart for God. But the challenge is that we are called to be God's witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And therefore, if we are being a healthy, effective, growing church, then we are going to be a diverse church that reflects the views and opinions of society. That is a natural expression. You would expect it. We need people on all sides of the political spectrum to know and love Jesus. So it should be no surprise to us that we might disagree as church from time to time. And one of the reasons I'm so pleased that we've engaged with this topic as church is that the world is really interested in justice at the moment. And one of our grace values is relevance and it's really important that we as a church engage with justice from a godly perspective perspective. 
so that when we go into our contexts, we can bring godly justice into those contexts. And in my job as a vascular surgeon, I mean, many of my patients, I mean, it's all lifestyle-related disease. It's, it's all smoking, diabetes. Uh, you know, it's, it's people from socially and economically deprived backgrounds who have worse education, who have poor health literacy, who aren't able to make the choices that some of us are, that don't have the opportunities that some of us have. And I work in a diverse organisation. The NHS is full of people from all different cultural and racial backgrounds from all countries of the world. And it's glorious. And I'm so grateful to God for the opportunities that I've had. But I've worked hard to make the most of those opportunities. But I'm humbled and in awe of people that have achieved more than me, who've come from backgrounds that didn't have the opportunities I had. And so I do my best to advocate for my patients. And I do my best to be a supportive colleague. But there are times that I have not challenged injustice. There are times that I've taken the path of least resistance. And I've learned a huge amount during this series. And as I said, injustice and justice is all about people. And we live in a complex world with complex problems and many forms of injustice are interrelated. And there are no easy solutions, particularly, particularly when injustice is historical and the people that perpetrated and experienced it directly are long dead. And reconciliation in those circumstances and in those areas of injustice is really hard because it forces us to deal with issues of inheritance. But reconciliation is such an important part of justice because justice without reconciliation is just retribution. And part of Justice is restoring relationship. And so that's why we as the body of Christ, that's why we as a church have got such an important voice on this issue. And that's why we have such an important influence because our view of justice is ultimately about reconciliation and restoration of relationship. It's not about punishment. And in criminal justice, restorative justice is increasingly being used. Um, I'm going to have to read this bit because I don't want to get it wrong. So it aims to engage the perpetrator to make them aware of the impact and consequences of their actions to the victim, have the opportunity to make reparations for their action, and to help restore them into community. It also aims to improve victim satisfaction, reducing their fear and ensure they feel paid back for the harm done to them and to increase confidence in the community, in the criminal justice system, and agencies engaged in rehabilitation of offenders. And importantly, both parties have to be willing to participate in the process, and it can be incredibly healing and helpful. And victim satisfaction is really high from restorative justice, and it, and it 
and it reduces reoffending as well because it it confronts the perpetrator of the crime to the impact and the consequences of their crime on the people it's affected. And the most striking, famous example of restorative justice is the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And I'm sure many of us have heard some of the stories that came out of that. Obviously, it was led by Desmond Tutu, who's an absolute legend. Um, But one of the main aims of that process was to bear witness to and record, and in some cases grant amnesty, to human rights abuses that were carried out during apartheid. And it wasn't just the human rights abuses that were perpetrated by the ruling white authorities, the ruling white regime, but also those from the ANC. And actually, the majority of people that applied for amnesty were black. It was a difficult and harrowing process and wasn't always successful. But there are incredible stories of healing and forgiveness. And one of the main legacies of that process is that it brought to the light and gave a voice to victims of some really horrific abuses of human rights. And it highlights just how challenging reconciliation is, just how difficult it is for both parties. Because you have to be humble and you have to go into areas of deep hurt and you have to expose yourself and it's risky and it's hard. But Jesus in his life and in his teaching constantly challenges cultural thinking and human instincts particularly regarding forgiveness and love. Uh, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I could probably put a Sermon on the Mount verse in every talk I give, and I've got two here. So this is the first one. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The bar of discipleship that Jesus calls to is ridiculously high. And we can only even get close to it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the challenge to forgive is throughout the gospel, throughout the Bible, the call to forgiveness. And similarly, in the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke, this from Luke 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, 
And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And the thing that we miss when we learn this story in Sunday school is that I cannot overstate how much the Jewish people and the Samaritans hated each other at the time. Both saw each other as the true followers of God and the true followers of the Israelite religion. The Samaritans were those left behind as the Jewish people were taken, as the nation of Israel was taken into exile in Babylon. And they intermarried with non-Israelites, those who were living in the area and had come into the area. And the Jewish people saw them as mixed race, traitors, and followers of a false and corrupted religion. So that to the listener, to the teacher of the law who asked this question, the Samaritan is absolutely the last person that they would ever expect would help them. And the challenge to go and do likewise is a challenge to love those who are our enemies and those who pray for those who persecute us. And so I just want to take, us, take a moment for us to just quickly think and reflect. In the context of this parable, who is our neighbour? Who is your neighbour? Who is the person or people group that if Jesus were to tell this parable to you personally, would be the person you would be most surprised that showed mercy and the person that you would find most difficult to show mercy to. Thankfully, we in church rarely have such enmity between towards one another. But we will disagree. As I said, we are in part a reflection of our society. And I can guarantee that if I spoke to each and every one of you for long enough, 
that we'd find some pretty significant areas of major disagreement. Because we're all nuanced. We have different opinions on things. We have different beliefs on things. We're influenced by so many factors. But what isn't okay, it's okay to disagree, that's fine, but what isn't okay is to allow those differences to shape our relationship with one another. And the responsibility of that goes both ways. I'll just read Colossians 3 again because this is the point of my talk where I was originally going to bring it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And as I said, human efforts to respond to injustice are just that, human efforts. Policy is a human construct. And as I said, we live in this tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom, but we have to do our best, guided by God in response to injustice but the reality is the truth is that two Christians with equal love for God with equally strong relationship with God with similar theologies but different political outlooks will approach problems differently one of my best friends is another doctor called Andrew he isn't a Christian although he is okay with me praying for him and his wife And we disagree on basically everything. And I think I've talked to him about him before. Um, And we quite regularly have really heated debates. Um, He he works in a different hospital now, so often they're undertaken over WhatsApp. Um, But when we worked together in an office, our colleagues used to get really fed up with us kind of having these arguments whilst we should have been working. And we argue about everything, politics, societal challenge, the England and football and cricket team. Um, But the fundamental aspect to our relationship is a mutual respect, love and trust for each other. And I know that he supports me personally. He's one of my best friends and I would call him for if I was in trouble and he's called me when he was in trouble and... I would ask his advice and his opinion on things. And I think one of the reasons why our friendship is so strong is because we disagree. Because we can disagree well. And I have so benefited from my friendship with Andrew. Because he's kept me rooted in reality. He's kept me away from groupthink. He's kept me nuanced and aware of other people's opinions. And another side to the argument. Even if all that's done is made my argument better. (laughs) 
But I think, and the, the other thing is, is help me to be, think critically about my own opinions. And it's helped me to humanise people that I disagree with. And as Jimmy said, we're all created in the image of God. Even those we disagree with are created in the image of God. And disagreeing well is really hard. And it's going to be messy. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to have to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to say sorry. But it's something we as church need to do really well. Because the world is so bad at it. And if we as a community can be really, really good at disagreeing well. Then we're going to be an attractive community for those outside. And we need to be attractive to people from all walks of life. And we can only do that if we have people from all walks of life here. And we don't scare people off. And some of the issues and topics that we've dealt with in this series have been deliberately challenging. There are struggles that humanity has dealt with its entire existence. But I think that's why it's really important for us to be self-critical, self-reflective and self-challenging of our own views and that we listen to those that we disagree with. But I think one of those, when, one of those things is when we start to get defensive, that's a moment to just take a breath because if we're being defensive, it's probably because we've been offended. I'm going to come into land in a minute. I realise I haven't touched on how we reconcile with each other. We are going to cover that. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 to 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving great honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. We have all been victims of injustice at some point or another. But there are some people within our community who feel issues of justice far more acutely than others, for whom this is much more of a live issue, for this is real and this impacts them on a day-to-day basis. For whom it's not theoretical. It's not something to argue about or talk about. It's a daily reality. And I'm talking about those members in our community that are the victims of racial injustice, economic injustice, health and disability injustice. And where we have people in our community impacted by injustice, that should grieve us also. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. How we respond to these challenges, as I've said, is different. But at the heart of church family is relationship with one another. And we should honour that. And we should seek to have good relationships with each other. Grieve with those who grieve. Suffer with those who suffer. And that may mean that we need to reconcile with each other. Which, as I've said, is really hard. It ain't easy. So how do we do it? First of all, we come in peace. We don't come with an agenda. We don't come with an argument. We come in peace. We come to make peace. We come to bring peace. And we need to listen to each other. And like really listen. Not listen so that we can then formulate our argument back whilst we're listening to the other person. But really listen. Where's the hurt been? And this goes both ways. This goes both ways. Really listen. And we need to be open to sharing uncomfortable truths of where we've been hurt by others. Either historically, and something has brought something up, and actually it's not really the fault of the person that's hurt us, but we just need to explain that. Or maybe there's been direct hurt caused. But we need to be humble and open to listen to hard truths and open to giving hard truths. And we need to recognise each other's hurt in those conversations and be generous to one another and recognise that this takes time and that it's not easy and practise hospitality and show love and bear with one another. And it may be that there won't be full reconciliation. But we can forgive each other. And we can demonstrate love. And we can disagree well. So we're going to share, hopefully going to share communion in a minute. Um... So I don't know if any of you have ever been to a Church of England communion service. Um, don't worry, I'm not bringing CV liturgy in. Um, but there's a thing that, oh, when I was in the Church of England, we used to do it, so I assume they still do it. There's a thing that we do in the Church of England where they share the peace before we have communion. And one of the most challenging bits of scripture to me from the Sermon on the Mount again. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, 
Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. When we take the bread and the wine, this is an act of worship. It's an act of remembrance. It's an act of giving thanks to God that Jesus died on a cross for us. And first and foremost, we are reconciled to God the Father because of Jesus' death and resurrection. That there is no guilt and no shame for us because of what Jesus done on the cross. And I don't want, desperately don't want to make anyone feel ashamed or guilty. That's not the purpose of this. Jesus dealt with that on the cross. But I just want to offer an opportunity before we come and take communion bread and wine. If there is someone that you need to make peace with, and it may be me, and I'm truly sorry to anybody that by action or inaction I've hurt. And if that is you, please get in touch. I'd love to meet up and chat. And this may not be the appropriate forum to make a full piece. That's absolutely fine. In fact, it probably isn't. (laughs) But if you just need to send someone a message, just say, I love you. Be great to meet up sometime. There's an opportunity to do that now. Should we pray? Father, we thank you that you love each and every one of us. We thank you that you have called us into relationship with you. We thank you that as we take communion bread and wine, that we take it as a family meal, united by you, saved for a purpose into your church, forgiven completely and utterly, and clothed as children of God, as co-heirs in Christ, that all our identity is in you. And we long to be a community that is different from the world, that loves one another, that bears with one another, that forgives one another, that blesses each other, that builds each other up and encourages each other to press on towards the goal of serving you and seeing your kingdom come and we want to be a community that brings your gospel that demonstrates your love that brings real change into our context and we acknowledge that many of us are hurt and have been hurt And we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you restore peace?
peace. And would you bring reconciliation with you? Would we know that we are fully restored into right relationship with you, Lord God? And out of that would there flow reconciliation with each other. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be kind. Help us to be humble. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be patient. To come in peace and come in love without an agenda other than to bless and love each other really well. In Jesus' name. Amen.